0: This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson, bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis.
1: Indulging liberal dreams creates real-life nightmares. Have you ever discussed the failures of socialism with a socialist? It is a frustrating process. No matter what evidence you bring proving that socialism creates hardship and poverty, the socialist always says that your example doesn't describe real socialism. If someone could just do socialism in the right way, they explain, then it would work. Then the socialist dreamer resorts to insults. You could see the value of socialism, they assert, if you weren't so greedy or or so stubborn or so conventional. These socialists exist in all aspects of life. This episode of the Return to Order moment looks at their failures in both their religious and economic spheres. We start with the pseudo-religious dreamers. Mr. Jose Antonio Ureta considers their plight in his essay. Liberal Catholics have lost the culture war, but refuse to admit it.
0: Credit must be given to Professor Massimo Fagioli on at least one count. He shows candid frankness by saying what his liberal Catholic comrades refuse to admit while hiding their heads in the sand. The Villanova University scholar wrote in two articles in La Croix International shortly after the publication of Carita Amazonia, 2020, the post exhortation in which Pope Francis failed to heed the Pan-Amazonian Synod's suggestion to bestow the priesthood on married community leaders. In short, Professor Fagioli said that the Francis pontificate's reforming momentum had run out. From now on, we will witness its decline. Quote, One has the impression that during the last several months, the dynamism of his pontificate has begun to reach its limit. Unquote. Fagioli's diagnosis unleashed a crisis in liberal Catholic ranks. Six months later, Father Antonio Spadaro, a close collaborator of Pope Francis decided to publish a long article in Civilta Cattolica, of which he is the director, to explain, quote, What is the driving force of this pontificate? Unquote. In an apparent reference to the above cited articles, Father Spadaro recognizes in the first paragraph that, quote, Some commentators and analysts have wondered if Francis's drive still exists. Unquote. He then explains at length how the Pope follows Ignatian spirituality, which requires interior conversion before reforming structures. Thus, quote, The Pope has neither prepackaged ideas to apply to reality, nor an ideological plan of ready-to-wear reforms, but he advances on the basis of a spiritual experience he creates the spiritual conditions for a real and open dialogue with the faithful, since reality is always superior to the idea. Father Spadaro tries to explain to his liberal Catholic friends that the Pope cannot advance further without discerning whether the vast majority of the faithful is prepared to accept radical changes, such as abolishing priestly celibacy or introducing female diaconate. Francis himself affirmed this strategy in a personal note he shared with Civilta Cattolica and first quoted in an article on the Pan-Amazonian Synod. Quote, There was a discussion, a rich discussion, a well-founded discussion, but no discernment, which is something different from arriving at good and justified consensus or relative majority. Unquote. According to Father Spadaro, the result of this discernment of reality is that, quote, if the conditions are not met, the Pope simply does not proceed without, however, denying the validity of the proposals. Instead, he asks that the discernment continue and leaves the discussion open, unquote. In other words, the preparatory work to transship the fold ideologically to his position must continue before the desired revolution can proceed without arousing too much resistance. Massimo Fagioli recently returned to his frankness with a new article in Lacroix Croix International that will undoubtedly make waves in liberal Catholic ranks. Skeptical about the possibility of Pope Francis imposing an ecological revolution from above, he titled his article, The Unhealthy Obsession with the Papacy and the Future of Catholicism. The article states that many Vatican II Catholics are victims of self-delusion and are stuck on a Roman strategy with little help of near-term success. With great lucidity, the scholar says that, quote, Vatican II Catholicism often became complacent and saw itself as the inevitable future. Thus, it did not see the need to invest resources in the younger generations of clergy and those working for the institutional church. Meanwhile, on the other side of the spectrum, neoconservatives first and neotraditionalists later got deeply committed to a catechetical and apologetic effort adapted to a popular audience, unquote. Drawing an eloquent parallel with American politics, The U.S.-based Italian theologian and historian argues that liberal Catholics behave like Democrats who seek only the presidency and aim for the long term. At the same time, traditional Catholics, like Republicans, engage in local work and strive for gradual and short-term advances. Quote, It is mostly local ecclesial experiences that determine the dynamics of Catholicism, he acknowledges, displaying lucidity absent from many of his fellow travelers. The latter cannot recognize the vitality of conservative parishes and communities where they celebrate the traditional Mass. Faced with this reality, Fagioli sounds the alarm to awaken complacent and deluded liberal Catholics. Quote, If you think that neo-traditionalist, anti-Vatican II Catholicism is just an ephemeral, seasonal disease, you are wrong, especially in some countries. Just look at the ideological tendency within the majority of the U.S. bishops and the young clergy." Showing contempt for and a lack of knowledge of the reality of traditional Catholicism, he bitterly expresses the perplexity of lucid liberals Quote, How did right wing Catholics, angry converts, Catholic Barthians, Burkists, Francis Haters, and company, a minority of voices, happen to scream the loudest and wield such influence with ordinary Catholics and their kids? Unquote. His answer is naturalistic and superficial. It's the simplistic, objectivistic, apologetical training that right-wing Catholics received before they discovered social media. This explanation seems inspired by Antonio Gramsci's prison notebooks, 1947, in which the Italian communist intellectual tried to explain to his atheist confreres that the Catholic Church's cultural hegemony results from the constant repetition of the truths of the faith and the catechism for children. Fagioli states this, quote, bottom-up interpretation of how power gets results, unquote. It explains why traditional Catholicism, quote, can suck all the air out of the room and be received as Orthodox Catholics, while Pope Francis can be condemned as a Satanist and heretic, unquote. To counter the Conservatives' growing hegemony, Fagioli says that liberal Catholics should emulate them by, quote, working from the ground up rather than moaning about what they're doing or not doing at the top. The parallel to election boards and city clerks, the lower-level action is truly the pastoral bottom line, homilies, catechetics, apologetics, unquote. Equally expressive is the Fagiolian warning about the contents of a new liberal pastoral policy that should prioritize, mirabile dictum, religious teaching as such, quote, An exclusive focus on the -the on-the-ground work for social justice and Catholic social thought without a concern for the canonical theological formation, Bible, liturgy, sacraments, history of the tradition of the younger members of the Church is a losing strategy, the Villanova academician insists. Massimo Fagioli's Gramscian conception of the Church's internal dynamics fails to capture the role played by the sensus fide in the flock's resistance to novelties incompatible with traditional teaching. This role was assumed in the 4th century when, in the words of Cardinal Newman, the divine tradition as entrusted to the infallible Church was much more proclaimed and preserved by the faithful than by the episcopacy, At an April 2018 Congress in Rome titled, Catholic Church, Where Are You Going? Walter Cardinal Brandmuller, one of the four signatories of the dubia about Chapter 8 of Amoris Laetitia, gave a scholarly explanation of this fact by being in a state of grace and thus practicing the three theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity. The former president of the Pontifical Committee for Historical Sciences explains, the lay faithful can acquire, quote, a deepening understanding of revealed truth, which works as a kind of spiritual immune system, which induces the faithful to recognize and reject instinctively all error, unquote. In the Cardinal's view, the filial correction signed by more than 200 scholars and the filial appeal to Pope Francis promoted by Tradition, Family, Property, TFP, and signed by nearly one million Catholics worldwide were prominent examples of how the spiritual immune system works regarding Amoris Laetitia. Four years later, His words maintain all their relevance. Immunized by faith, Catholics loyal to traditional church teaching become involved in parishes and movements to resist the efforts of Fagioli's liberal followers. The Villanova theologian's pessimistic hunch will come true. Without a reclamation of the Catholic charism at the local level, Schools and universities included, this Vatican II pontificate will be wasted, especially for churches like the one in the United States. The current pontificate's failure to permanently revolutionize the church is inevitable. The Holy Spirit bestows Catholic charisma from above to preserve the integrity of the deposit of the faith and explain it adequately to new generations of Catholics so they don't follow what the Germans call zeitgeist, the evil spirit of the times. As our Lord said, the evil tree brings forth evil fruit. See Matthew chapter 7 Verse 18.
1: Meanwhile, it appears that leaders in the United States are equally unaware that their policies are unpopular and unworkable. One idea that appears harmless, at least at first glance, is President Biden's proposal to write off $10,000 in student loan debt per person. After all, why would anyone want to burden these bright, young people with debts that they could never be able to repay? Of course, the reality is very different. Mr. John Horvat examines the pitfalls in his essay, Biden's socialist student relief scheme will make all future student debt irrelevant.
0: President Biden's plan to forgive student debt is very controversial. Most students will get a $10,000 debt reduction, while lower-income students will be eligible to double the amount. Biden's August giveaway adds half a trillion dollars to the federal government's debt deficit by some estimates. It is easy to be generous with other people's money. Conservatives raise the value of cost, value, inflation, and economic impact. Liberals were happy with the move but disappointed by the amount forgiven. In their unreal world, the government is all about giving away free stuff, and the more, the better. One central theme on both sides of the debate is fairness. Conservatives validly argue that forgiving student debtors is not fair to those who worked hard and paid off their debts. Students and parents entered into valid contracts for the amount forwarded. They have a legal and moral obligation to meet the terms of the agreement, regardless of those terms. Paying debts is part of the real world. Conservatives point out that new generations can learn valuable lessons by honoring their obligations. The left also thinks the issue is about fairness, but of a different sort. Liberals argue that many students were victims of circumstances beyond their control. Unlike rich children, poor students were forced to borrow if they were to go to college. Many were taken in by slick college marketers who promised them everything and failed to deliver. Millions incurred great debt, yet failed to receive degrees as if the two were related. Yet others graduated into a depressed labor market that could not absorb their gender studies or whatever degrees. Out of fairness, the liberals argue, these students deserve a second chance. Let their debts be forgiven and they will be unburdened. They will thus contribute more positively to the economy. The total cost of several hundred billion dollars is not that much to invest, especially when spread over a decade. As economist Paul Krugman casually notes, quote, At most, then, we're talking about tens of billions a year in a $25 trillion economy. That's basically a rounding error, unquote. There are two things wrong with the progressive way of thinking. The first is that the left is misnaming the debate, again. For leftists, it is not really about fairness or rounding errors. They are actively imposing the repugnant ideology of socialism upon the nation. That's the real issue. The student relief scheme follows the Marxist boilerplate. Addressing graduate debtors creates an underdog class in conflict with paying or more affluent graduates. By extending forgiveness, the graduates who sign the loan forms are made conscious of their oppression. They can be encouraged to demand their rights and engage in class struggle. It matters little that graduate debtors have never considered themselves a vocal and organized minority. They have quietly paid their monthly payments for decades and got on with their lives despite all difficulties. Even today, no formal network exists that represents or radicalizes them. However, the socialist strategy is to turn all debtors, regardless of their economic conditions, into an abstract and non-existent disenfranchised community They are offered an easy way out as victims of circumstances beyond their control. Those who oppose the move will be considered heartless oppressors. The grateful graduates will repay the bribe by voting liberal. The second problem with the debt forgiveness scheme is that it will make all future student debt irrelevant. If questionable student loan practices still exist, then present loans are extended under the same conditions as in generations past. These programs will be mass-producing so-called victims of circumstances beyond their control. The logic of the student forgiveness mania leads to the inescapable conclusion that present loans will have to be forgiven in the future. In the name of fairness, it will be unfair to future debtors if they do not receive the same benefits as those receiving today's forgiveness package. In short, the left sees all loans as tools of oppression that should not be taken seriously. Liberals' moral hazard message to new students is... Borrow with abandon, since you can expect the government to pay for an ever-greater share of your debt. Meanwhile, the real problem with student debt is not addressed. Real reform would involve making the right decisions before signing the loan agreement. Thus, parents and educators need to direct young people to make wiser choices about college, including alternatives to the university. It would involve getting rid of so many worthless and woke degrees without utility to the nation. Real education would teach valuable life lessons like honoring obligations, valuing effort, and making sacrifices. Real education would teach students to perceive and reject the socialism found in President Biden's student relief scheme and reject Marxist rounding errors.
1: As seen in the two previous essays, denying reality is a hallmark of liberals. However, that does not make the realities go away. The current economic situation is a useful example of both denial and the reality. If the government continues to deny that there is a recession, then effective action will not take place. That will be disastrous. On the other hand, if prompt and correct action is taken, the situation will improve and prosperity will eventually return. So a problem that appears to be purely economic turns out to be a moral issue as well. Mr. Michael Haynes considers the connections between economics and morality in his essay, a recession is here both financially and morally, will America return to the truth?
0: The U.S. is currently experiencing a recession, despite desperate White House denials. However, to what extent does this financial reality correspond to the moral decline of recent decades? What is the connection between the nation's economic decline and the less promotion of moral depravity on every level? The United States is now in the midst of a recession. With two consecutive negative growth quarters, the widely accepted and used textbook definition of a recession has been met. Despite this undeniable reality, President Joe Biden and the White House team refused to acknowledge the issue. We're not going to be in a recession, he said on July 25th, before adding a few days later that the economy is merely slowing down. Quote, It's no surprise that the economy is slowing down as the Federal Reserve acts to bring down inflation. Unquote. His team supported the president's fiction, with White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre denying the country was in a recession in a July 27th press briefing. Ignoring criticism from economists and incensed Republican lawmakers, the White House continued its denial of a recession. Within days, the very words definition on the online encyclopedia Wikipedia was altered, removing any emphasis away from two quarters of negative growth in the updated definition. The page was then locked, so users could no longer alter it. Referencing Biden's definitional wordsmithing and an aggressive media campaign, Dr. Philip W. Magnus wrote that, quote, Biden's advisors may well be stumbling their way into a repeat of the 1970s economic malaise, unquote. Just as the left attempts to argue that men can be women and vice versa, The objective financial reality of a recession appears to be of no limitation in the current campaign to upend society. The White House's financial denial of reality has a parallel in matters both moral and biological. The president's firm commitment to promoting the radical LGBTQ agenda predates his entrance into the White House and has remained strong ever since. His March 30th proclamation for the Transgender Day of Visibility displayed a similar rejection of biological and moral reality to that found in his current denial of a recession. Quote, We recognize the resilience, strength, and joy of transgender, non-binary, and gender non-conforming people. We celebrate the activism and determination that have fueled the fight for transgender equality. We acknowledge the diversity and determination that the transgender community continues to face across our nation and around the world, Nor is this denial limited to the LGBT ideology. Indeed, The current administration frantically seeks to enshrine further protections for abortion into law in the wake of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Such actions indicate that conformity to truth and objective reality, in this case, the humanity of each baby and the evil of killing, is no longer a priority in modern America the double collapse in moral values and the financial system should not be surprising. Commentators have observed how one affects the other. Writing in the Wall Street Journal, James Pearson observed a decline in the labor force in recent years linked to the aging population. Pearson wrote, quote, The labor force participation rate has also been declining in recent decades, thereby adding to the challenge of slowing population growth. The percentage of the adult population working or actively looking for work increased steadily from 59% in 1965 to 67% in the late 1990s, followed by a steady drop-off to 62% in 2022. With the current labor force at around 163 million workers, a 4% decline represents about 6 million jobs. Unquote. U.S. labor statistics predict a continued rise to 2030 in workers aged 55 or more, accompanied by a decrease in younger men working. Such a trend is hardly surprising given that more than 66 million babies are estimated to have been killed by surgical and medical abortions since 1973. In other words, this strange recession with high employment is caused by a decadent culture that has deprived the economy of much-needed workers through abortion and an unwillingness to work. With the widespread societal acceptance of sins, such as abortion, homosexual acts, LGBT ideology, that not only contravenes the moral order but the natural law also, it is perhaps not surprising that much of society finds itself in a state of decay both morally and financially. As Return to Order author John Horvat wrote after the overturning of Roe, America has, for nearly 50 years, followed a law permitting the murder of the unborn. Even now, with its overturning, the debate rages on, furious over, quote, which of these two higher laws will prevail, unquote, the law of freedom and self-interest, or the moral law given by God. Quote, "...it is a decision that will determine more than just the abortion issue, but the direction America will take in the future." Unquote. Adherence to the former, which has already characterized the nation for so many decades, means bowing to, quote, "...a tyrant of disordered passions that override all other considerations. It ultimately leads to self-destruction... Irrational behaviors, and nihilism. With the advent and promotion of abortion and LGBT ideology, this self destruction is visibly manifesting. The nation's departure from natural law can also be seen in polling figures relating to religion. While only 7% of Americans confessed to having no religion in 1970, the number has grown to 26% as of 2019. The number of those who actually practice a religion which they may nominally hold is far fewer. This factor dramatically explains the widespread rejection of every part of reality and truth in modern society. In his Summa Theologiae, St. Thomas Aquinas outlines the link between God and truth and how the rejection of God leads to a rejection of the truth. Quote, truth is found in the intellect according as it apprehends a thing as it is, and in things according as they have been conformable to an intellect. This is to the greatest degree found in God. Whence it follows not only that truth is in him, but that he is truth itself, the sovereign and first truth. By abandoning God and his truth, society begins a downward spiral, whereby it rejects not only divine and moral truths, but also natural truths. A moral recession will always give rise to a financial one.
1: This concludes Indulging Liberal Dreams Creates Real-Life Nightmares. Thank you so much for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is only a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. If you have enjoyed this podcast, Please remember that we publish a new episode every week as Tuesday becomes Wednesday at midnight. There are two ways to make sure that you don't miss future episodes. The first way is to subscribe through your favorite podcast provider. Another is to go to our website, www.returntoorder.org, and click on the podcast link at the top of the page, which will take you to a list with the most recent podcast on top. We ask subscribers to give us a five-star rating with the service through which we were listening to it. Increased subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will be directed to the Return to Order moment when they search for new podcasts. So by rating us, you can help Return to Order be more effective. In addition, subscribers gain access to all the previous episodes of the Return to Order moment. We would also like to recommend the book, which spells out the motivations behind our work. Mr. John Horvat's book, Return to Order, is available as a free download through our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2022 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.